I have a very vulnerable story I feel like the Lord would have me share with you about this. I'm a little uncomfortable sharing it with you, but here we go. I'm Bob Gresh, and that's my bride, Dana, speaking to an audience of a few thousand women in South Africa. She was there with her friend Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth for a Revive Our Hearts event, and she's about to be brave. I never really told anyone, but I was emotionally tied to my teenage sex partner after I was married. And the way that it showed up would be this. Every time Bob and I would have a big fight, I would be guilt-ridden by my pain and sin. I would never think about this boy any other time except when Bob and I fought. And then I would think, in God's eyes, I'm married to him. So that's why my marriage will never work. Satan would beat me up with this boy's name and this face. I never told anyone. And then one day I was praying with a very trusted friend. And we were praying over an issue of forgiveness that I needed to work out in my life over some pain I was experiencing with some of my dearly loved and respected church leaders. And as she counseled me, God's Spirit put it on her heart that, I, that she should pray with me to forgive this boy from she was uncomfortable with that because at the time, I was the Christian author in the United States who'd written the purity book on sexual truth and sexual healing. Who was she to say, hey, I think you need to pray about this, right? But she said, let me ask God if this is true. Um, I feel like there's something that I should pray for you about. Can you just ask God's spirit to confirm it in your heart? And the strangest thing in the world happened wasn't thinking about this boy, but his name ran through my head. And I spoke it to her and she said, who is that? And I told her, I said, I feel a little weird right now. She said, I think we should pray because I think maybe you haven't forgiven him. I didn't really think I needed to forgive him. So we prayed that God would break off any bondage that was between us and any unholy enmeshment. And then I forgave him for all kinds of stuff. I didn't really realize it till about 18 months or 24 months later, but I never thought of him again. Bob and I would fight and I'd be like, huh, I love that man. I'm really mad at him right now, but I love that man. And there was nobody else in my head. There are bonds with the people you have sex with and there are bonds with the people who have wounded you with their own sexual sin. And the way to be unbonded from them is forgiveness. Hey there, welcome to the Happily Even After podcast where you'll hear a story of a husband and wife who did not ride off into the sunset, but found themselves fighting a man's fierce battle with lust and pornography. Bob and Dana Gresh are raw, real, and honest. Their guests are wise experts in the work of marriage recovery. Some have degrees in therapy or psychology. Immature forgiveness is, is really not a healthy thing. Others have learned their lessons on the hot pavement of life. I saw myself go over and sit by him and wrap my arms around him and tell him that I forgive you and I love you. They'll help you explore seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. Oh, and by the way, you can live happily even after. Here's Dana Gresh. Ah, the plot thickens. Yes, it does. Welcome back to our living room and our two red leather chairs. Just when you thought you'd heard all the dirt on the Greshes, we unload some more. Yeah, there's piles of dirt. 
<laughs> around the corner. There's <laughs> piles of dirt. And uh, so just in case your favorite true crime podcast has gone all dry, we're here with some train wreck watching, like slow motion train wreck watching pleasure. <laughs> well, there have been certain plots and twists in our story, including the fact that you forgave me years before you needed forgiveness from me. But something that never occurred to me was that I needed to forgive the guy that I had sex with when I was a teenager. But when I did, something supernatural was healed in my mind. Yeah, based on those conversations, that changed. That was the pivot point of your spiritual life in it really particular. really was, yep. That started everything. It's really an amazing story. Yep. There is before that and after that. Yeah, I was a new person. I already was a Christian, um, but the the weight of that shame was so heavy on me that it was almost as if I was reborn. I was definitely had a new, a fresh infusion of God's grace. Today, we're going to explore truth number four, forgiveness is a supernatural act that produces healing. Forgiveness is a commandment of God, but we also want to validate that it can be complicated when someone is stuck in a cycle of sin. Yeah, it's messy. And you might remember Ashley Jameson from our pilot episode, when her husband told her his secrets she reacted in ways she would have never predicted. Yeah, I remember in my early days of disclosure, my husband's disclosure, just feeling completely irrational, like my nerves were on the outside of my body, um, that I just had this constant energy running through. I was crying. I was throwing things. I was completely not myself. And yeah. I remember my husband just feeling like I was overreacting. Mm. I was crazy. I went to our church back then and asked for help and and they would say, um, you know, like everybody deals with this and you just need to forgive. And and I felt completely insane until one day I heard about um, betrayed spouses experiencing a chemical shift as well. Mm -hmm. And and that they needed healing from trauma. A lot of addicts and even clinicians, they don't understand what a betrayed spouse is experiencing. Let me remind you of that. The wife of a man who's been caught in a cycle of porn addiction or any of the escalating results of that uh, is experiencing a thing called betrayal trauma. Yeah, ladies, if you don't feel like yourselves, and if it just so happens that you're experiencing body pain, headaches, chronic illness, whatever, I have something to tell you. You're not crazy. Rejection, which is what a husband's porn use feels like to us, produces serious physical effects in women. There's good science to back me up on this. Research reveals that the stress of a cycle of rejection causes an inflammatory response in the body. And that's the root of a lot of our maladies, including things like heart disease and high blood pressure, chronic pain, asthma flare-ups, digestive issues, frequent headaches, joint and muscle pain. That's something I experienced. Accelerated signs of aging, rapid onset weight gain, reduced immunity, frequent colds and viruses, anxiety, depression, even some diabetes and different types of cancers can be linked to stress and inflammation. And I don't think it takes a PhD to figure out that mental and emotional symptoms 
can be a part of the cocktail of confusion you may be experiencing. Now, let me say the presence of these symptoms is not undeniable evidence that your husband has a secret sin in his life, okay? Don't jump to conclusions. There are a lot of reasons we may struggle with these things, but I'm just suggesting they could be linked. There's a growing body of research that suggests the physical pain and problems you experience when a key relationship is not healthy may not be unrelated. And that's why I take issue with something we heard a moment ago. Let's play it again. I went to our church back then and asked for help. And and they would say, um, you know, like everybody deals with this and you just need to forgive. And, and I felt completely insane. Yeah, and I'm very glad that didn't happen to Dana. No one told her you just have to forgive him. In fact, on our last day at Crossroads... Uh, during our intensive with Pete, he told you it would be wise to actually not forgive me yet, to wait to forgive me. Yeah. And Pete does this whole kind of ceremonial celebration of forgiveness thing on your last day of counseling as a couple. He, he helps you verbalize forgiveness to one another in kind of a cool way. You go down to the Arkansas River and you both throw a stone in or something like that. Kind of cool. But we didn't do it. We never made it to the river. Instead, we drove to the Denver airport in silence because, well, Dana wasn't ready to forgive. And I wasn't necessarily making it easy. It's partly because she was just getting the full story from me that day. There was details I admitted that I didn't think were important, but I probably deep down knew they were. I shared earlier that I made the mistake of kind of staggered disclosure. And I told her pieces partly because my mind was trying to really wrap around the gravity of my sin. It's, it's hard to understand how bad it, it was. It was hard to understand that that was me doing those things. Mm. And, and the other reason is I was terrified, you know, that she couldn't handle it. I was ashamed. I was humiliated. And I regret doing that. It was crazy making to her. And we recently talked to Pete about that. One thing that really helped me was a gift that you gave me. And that was um, letting me not forgive Bob on a day that I wasn't ready to. Hmm. And what yeah. I see a lot Premature of forgiveness is, is really not a healthy thing. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of, of pastors who have made that mistake of encouraging somebody who's been sexually abused or uh, mistreated by somebody and just telling them, you know, if you want to walk in freedom, you have to forgive them. And so because we want you to be in freedom, let's just forgive them right now. And if they're not ready, if they haven't dealt with the pain and the hurt that it's caused, they aren't, they aren't a position where forgiveness is going to make a difference. It's, it'll be words, but it isn't really going to make a difference unless they've dealt with their own woundedness first. And that's that's why we emphasize taking ownership and responsibility of the hurt and asking God to bring healing to those places where I've been hurt and what I've believed as a result of that hurt. And when I have freedom there, that's when I truly am in a position where I can honestly forgive the other person because it's not being contaminated by the pain and and anger and resentment and bitterness and all that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about forgiveness and trust. How are they different? 
Well, <clears throat> you can forgive somebody and not trust them at all. <laughs> and if somebody's violated your, your uh, relationship, it would be stupid to trust them right away. And that's another mistake that a lot of a lot of people feel is that if I forgive, I need to trust immediately. And then you go to either I have to blind, blindly trust no matter what they say or do, or I'll never trust them again. And we need to learn to trust perceptively um, and, and trust them on the basis of their trustworthiness, what they are demonstrating, how, how the track record is developing. And as the, as they, are consistent in their behavior over time, that's when I can truly learn to trust them again. And, and forgiveness is, is um, may have happened quite a while ago, but the, the trust gets rebuilt over time with consistent behavior. I wanted to ask a question. One of the criticisms of this book is gonna be that it doesn't allow wives to, how do I wanna say this? It's a forgiveness book, a redemption book. Mm -hmm. And when's the end game when you just can't, a, a person can't continue to do things over and over and over and expect forgiveness. Forgiveness. It doesn't matter how much I do it. Yeah. There is an abusive end game where it's becoming, it's almost like a form of abuse to not change. I don't know how I want to say that. It's not necessarily fair for a wife reading the book to think, well, my husband's doing this over and over and over again, and I have to keep forgiving him. Yeah, that's, that is such a difficult thing. And that, that's exactly why you wrote the book is, is it, it was a very courageous thing for you guys to do to basically put yourself out there, um, almost pantsing yourself in front of the public. Um, but that's what a, what a courageous thing and, and to help people who are, who really are struggling with that journey. And, um, I don't think that there, that every spouse needs to stay in the marriage, no matter what the other person does. And, and at some point there, there is a point where you say, I can't, I can't live this way. and I'm not going to, but at the same time before God saying, I am willing to, to do what you lead me to do. And if my, if my spouse is, is showing signs of being serious about recovery, that they're, that willingness to, to um, continually opening the door and seeing if, if, if God is going to do the work that we're hoping for. But what a, what a difficult journey that is. And oftentimes it's difficult to discern where that line is. Okay, let's push pause for a second. Dana and I are as pro-marriage as they come. We believe God can redeem anything, anything. Um, I mean, if he can redeem our marriage, he can redeem yours. Let me just say that. But we are not pro-abuse, and we want to make this really clear. We recognize that some of you listening have experienced escalation into affairs, strip clubs, prostitution, and there comes a point where that's abusive. And let me say, I had patterns that were so repetitive and escalating that Dana would, you would have certainly been in your right to call it quits. Hmm. That wasn't out of the question. I didn't want to. But I want to be clear that if a husband is unwilling to do whatever it takes to stop the cycle, if he is abusing you by refusing to stop the cycle, you can forgive him 
And that doesn't necessarily include staying in the relationship. Yeah, and Dana, this is where it's really important to have strong people around you, men and women that can advise you and can say to your husband, look, we're advising, we're going to encourage Dana to leave if you don't stop this cycle of abuse. If you don't change your actions, we're not going to encourage Dana to continue to go through this. Yeah. And that's why you can't just have people around that just say nice things to you. They need to be real truth yeah. tellers. For the record, we didn't get to that point, but your point is well taken. I'm um, just using us as you know, yeah, stand-ins. Yeah, you're using us as stand-ins. What I do want to say this is that no matter what, you can and must go to a place of forgiveness. It is for your good. Yeah, so let's hear a little bit more of Dana's message on forgiveness. Forgiveness is canceling a debt rightly owed to you. You know what? Maybe your boss did cheat you in your pay. Maybe your mother did abandon you and that was wrong. Maybe your husband was unfaithful to you. Maybe a friend did steal from you and they owe you. I mean, they really do. But the Bible gives us a picture in Matthew 18, 21 to 35 of what it's like to be a woman who's been forgiven of much by Christ and then walk around with unforgiveness in our heart. It tells the story of a servant who owes 20 years wages to a master. And the master sees, oh, you never are ever gonna be able to pay this, so I forgive you. And right that very day, that servant walks around to somebody who owes them like, well, Nancy says in her book that it was 100 days wages. Not quite as much as 20 years wages but they will not forgive. And they throw that person with that little debt against them in jail. And the Bible says that the master becomes furious when he hears the news of this. And he comes back and he says, I forgave you 20 years wages and you're gonna throw them in jail for 100 days? That's what you're gonna do with the forgiveness I gave you instead of passing it on? Don't be that. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Pass it on. Pass it on. There are debts, but you cancel them with forgiveness. Forgiveness is acknowledging that justice, payback, is God's job, not mine. When I choose to forgive, I say, God, it's not that that person doesn't owe something, but you get to decide what they owe. It's not my job anymore. Let me tell you what your job is. It's in Romans 12, 17 to 19. It says, if possible, so far as depends on you, live at peace with one another. Say, peace is my job. And then it says, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Say, vengeance is God's job. Don't get that mixed up. Your job is not vengeance, it's God's. Forgiveness acknowledges God's job. Let him do his job. He's much better at his job description than you can ever be. That was Dana speaking at a Revive Our Hearts event in South Africa, and she was telling women what forgiveness is and, and what it isn't. I encourage you to listen to the whole message. It's great. And hey, we'll put a link in the show notes. That's my favorite <laughs> you, line. Your favorite line in the, 
in the we'll, podcast. We'll drop a link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, means. it's really important to have a full understanding of what forgiveness is and what you're forgiving so that when you do it, you mean it. So can we go back to Ashley Jamison? I just adore her. She did forgive her husband. And today, Ashley Jamison guides biblically-based, clinically-informed women's groups for wives through a ministry we like a whole lot. It's called Pure Desire. Mm-hmm. So if you've been told to just forgive and experienced it prematurely, here's Ashley's advice. If you don't find the help you need or you get hurt or experience mm-hmm. some institutional trauma or anything like that yeah. to keep going mm-hmm. and that there are people that can help you and continue to look for that help. This podcast is brought to you by Pure Freedom and Moody Publishers. Here's Bob Gresh. For the record, Dana did choose to forgive me. Yeah, and I think it's important to emphasize that it's a choice. It's not an emotion. You're not going to feel like doing it, but you can choose it, and I did. But then I had to walk that forgiveness out, and I had to wake up the next day and choose it. And I cannot tell you how many times I felt like just retaliating. And sometimes, honestly, I did, to my shame. But I guess I just want you to know you can't trust your feelings. I can't tell you how many times I would pray under my breath, God, I chose to forgive Bob. Help me still choose it now in this moment. So what I want to say is this. You do have to mean it when you say you forgive him. Forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. Forgiveness means you don't have to pay. That's Pastor Vody Bacham. I want you to hear what he has to say about forgiveness. Now, you know, I have up here my, my, my trusty iPad Say somebody came up here and knocked on my iPad and broke my iPad. And I looked at the person after they, you know, broke my iPad and I said, hey, I forgive you. I, I really do. I forgive you. $800. I'll go get me another one. We're good. I have not forgiven. I have not forgiven. Why? Because I'm making you pay. I did not cancel the debt. I'm making you pay. I didn't forgive. My words are hollow. My words are empty. See, usually when we say, I forgive you, what we're really saying is, I'm not going to blow up at you. Literally, that's all we mean. I'm not going to blow up at you. I'm not going to punch you. I want to, but I'm not going to right now. However, I am going to punish you in significant ways. Now, see, what happens when we get out of this transactional model, when we're not talking about finances anymore? What does it look like for me to make somebody pay, for me to not forgive? Well, a couple of things. How about depriving another person of my time and attention? I forgive you. I just don't want to be around you. I forgive you. I'm just not speaking to you. The husband and wife situation. I forgive you. I'm just withholding affection. Can't say amen. You ought to say ouch. That's not forgiveness. That is the opposite of forgiveness. You are being punitive. You're making the person pay. That means you're not forgiving. Pastor Vody Bacham. You might want to soak in that message. You'll find it on YouTube on the Truth Endures page. We'll put a link in the show notes. Man, I wish it weren't true, but forgiveness is messy and forgiveness is super hard. In fact, Bob, I'm sorry I didn't do it better. You know, you did it almost too good. Oh. There were times when I wanted you to be 
a real jerk. It would have made me feel better. <laughs> but you really were persistent. You were following the Lord's lead. And there are times when I thought, I just wish she would act like a total idiot. And Do I need I could... to remind you that I threw things at you? You did throw a few things, but that was very <laughs> infinitesimal in the entire life of this cycle. Once it was a meatloaf. It was a meatloaf. Okay. <laughs> I do know one thing. Forgiveness is not natural in any way. It's supernatural. And if you do not rely on the Holy Spirit to do it through you, you won't be able to do it. Yeah. It's just not something that is humanly possible. It has to come from your heart and the Holy Spirit. Recently, you and I sat down with two friends of ours, Wade and Amy Harris. Because they have a truly supernatural story of forgiveness, and it inspired us, me anyway, to do something radical in the very middle of our redemption story. Wade is actually the chief operating officer of our True Girl and Born to Be Brave Ministries. He's the he's the man. And Amy is the principal of Grace Prep, the school that we run. So they're very important to us. They're, yeah. our, they're our co-laborers, our true we partners. And before we were ministry teammates... Um, Amy called you, Dana, to take what well, the day after their marriage hit ground zero. We sat down to talk about it. You called me that day or the next day. The next day? Yeah. Why'd you call? Um, I think like I just wanted just a few people that I could talk to. And I knew, obviously, I'd read your book, The Bride Wore White, and knew some of your story. And had met you a year previously and just felt a connection and felt that you were safe, that someone I could talk to. Mm. I'm glad. I'm mm -hmm. glad you called. Me too. <laughs> well, um... well, we really didn't know each other that well. We met on a cruise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Played some board games together. Played some board games, enjoyed each other, had fun, laughed. And then we ended up crying together. So... Um, Let's start with you, Amy. Like, uh, before Wade disclosed anything to you, did you have any sense that something was off? Yeah, months and months before he confessed, I um, said to him multiple times, half joking, half kind of inquisitive, like, do you have a separate family? Like, do you have a separate wife? Like, just funny things because he was so disengaged with our family. Um, I he said, was there, but not emotionally present. Yeah, and he traveled a lot. So mm -hmm. he was gone half the month. And so I said, wow. it's almost um, better when you're not here, I would say, because I was in sync with the kids and I was connected and he didn't have a relationship with the kids. And he had just kind of, I don't know, like he just kind of, disengaged from our family. And I noticed it. I told um, my best friend, the pastor's wife, I feel like we're roommates. Um, because even when he was home, he wasn't really home. Hmm. Bob, you said, wow. You just said, wow, a minute ago. Is that because it shocks you to think of Wade like that? Yeah, it does, actually. Because I don't know that person. No. No, I don't. I know one of the most engaged dads that I know. I know yes. one of the best husbands that I've ever met. Like... It's hard for me to imagine who that person was. What was the hardest thing about Disclosure Day for you, Wade? I think just knowing the hurt that I caused Amy was really hard about it. I think finally facing how messed up I was, that I actually could do some of the things I did was really hard. Um, 
And then probably the hardest thing that day was Amy had me call different people and tell them. Amy made you call yeah. people? Yeah. Oh, tell me about that. <laughs> Do tell. Um, I got, I told her, disclosed everything. Um, and she sat in silence, I think for a little bit. And then she said, where's your phone? And I gave it to her and she, um, I think dialed my mom first. What? <laughs> and said, here, tell your mom everything. <sighs> and so I did. And my mom, I don't even really remember what my mom said. Cause I think was it was on speakerphone. I don't remember. And then got done with that one. And she said, okay, here, call your dad. She dialed my dad's number. So I called, told him. And then I think it was Phil, mm -hmm. who I clearly had lied to a lot. Um, mm. and told him and then our pastor. So she had me make those four phone calls and really disclosed to the people that probably at that point in time needed to know the most. Mm. Um, and they were people that, um, my parents were incredibly, I think, broken and loving. Um, but my mentor and then our pastor and his wife were just instrumental in helping us walk out the next few days with, um, just wisdom and grace. So Amy is no wallflower here. She is holding your feet to the fire, like right from the very beginning. Yeah. Go Amy. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And you did something that we talk about all the time is you can't do this alone. You've mm -hmm. got to have people around you. But one of the things that's really remarkable to me about your story is the way you forgave Wade. And tell us that story. Um, so he disclosed things and then I had him make the phone calls and then um, asked like the pastor, like, we need to come there. Like, you know, so we went to the church. So it was the same day. Same day. Yeah. Same. A few hours later, like we're going like, I think literally I was so like, I had no idea what to do. And I was like, go to your pastor. And um, so we went there and we were um, telling his wife came to and um sitting on opposite sides of the couch, um, black leather couch in their office. And um, his wife was sitting next to me on the floor. And I just was sharing kind of my thoughts and crying. And then Wade started saying some things, just so frustrated at himself. And then he, he said like the statement, he was just angry and crying and frustrated. And he was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Meaning what? like for our future, like, do I want to like stay with you and the kids? And I was just like, I was like the maddest I've been in my whole life because I was just like, that is ridiculous, you know? And I just was just like so angry and in disbelief. And then he like put his hands down and his, his head down in his hands and just broke down crying after this rant. And um, I saw myself just go over to him and hug him. What do you mean you saw yourself? I was on the complete opposite end of the couch and I was so mad at him. And there's no way that that was me doing it. Like it was a total supernatural experience that I've never felt anything like it. I haven't since that day, um, but I saw myself go over and sit by him and wrap my arms around him and tell him that I forgive you and I love you. And I just, in that moment, I would not have done that. It wasn't me. It was definitely the Holy Spirit in me that did mm. that. What did that do for you, Wade? 
Um, I think it finally broke me. Um, it brought probably the repentance to the confession or the emotion to it. Um, see, my my anger, my rant of leaving, putting that option on the table of leaving Amy and the kids was was more out of my anger that this addiction, this struggle, this battle in my life wouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I made a comment like, if God's not going to take this away, there's no point in me staying because I just can't keep doing this to you and keep doing this to the family. And so what she heard is me kind of probably as a selfish, I want to leave. For me, it was a, I just can't keep being this person, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is still selfish. It wasn't, um, so it, it just broke me. It made me, um, it may be one of the first times I've truly felt the love of the father. Um, tangibly in my life. Um, I think I'd always worked so hard to be close to the Father and never felt close to Him for whatever reason. And that began the journey of being able to be close to the Father. I think that forgiveness is still working on you. I'm thinking about how Bob's forgiveness changed everything for me once. We were 25, 26, 24, somewhere in that range. We'd been married for a handful of years, and I'd never confessed to him that I had been sexually active before we were married. But I got to a point where I couldn't live with that lie anymore. And our relationship had been very, had a lot of integrity, sexual integrity before we were married, and yet we were just blocked after emotionally and finally got to that point where I couldn't take it anymore and confessed it. And I, it took me three hours in a dark bedroom to oh. tell him one sentence. Do you remember? Yeah. How I kept turning the light off. Mine off. Because yeah, you wanted to. <laughs> Weird see my face and I was so ashamed Um, and then I finally said I you know I've had a secret the difference between Dana before that day and Dana after that day it was like I came to know Jesus for the first time and so for some reason it in my mind I know this sounds twisted but I believe that every book I've ever written every speech I've ever given every podcast I've ever made where I'm declaring the redemption of Jesus. And more importantly, every woman I sit with one-on-one and I'm extending redemption and healing in her life, I can trace it back to two things, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and Bob Gresh's forgiveness on that night. It changed everything for me. Thank you, baby. Um, Bob. What does it mean for a man to hear the words, I forgive you, from his wife's lips? Does it matter? Oh, it's very powerful. It's, I think the hardest part for me is believing it, like allowing myself to believe it. Because I still want to say, well, if you really knew, if you really knew, if you really knew. Do you have something you want to tell me? No, but <laughs> but that's an easy thing to go to. Yeah, right. Or what 
you know, what choices she had, whatever. But it's, I think when you see that it's for real, that you're really forgiven. Um, when you said that to me, it's very powerful. It's very healing. I think I've struggled with the same thing with my story because, I mean, I haven't disclosed every detail to you. And there were times, I don't think anymore, but there were times when I'd be like, but if he really knew. And that's when you just have to rise back up and say, I have been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me. My husband has forgiven me. Amy, tell us more about that sofa that you and Wade were sitting on when you forgave him. Meaning, where is it now? Where is it okay. now? <laughs> um, yeah, it was such a like kind of like monumental thing like that happened. And I felt for the first time like had a Holy Spirit supernatural moment. And so um, we were moving out of state and Wade asked if we could have that couch um, to take with us. And so we moved it here and now we have a bedroom that's kind of long and we're able to have that couch in our bedroom as just a monument. Um, It's a reminder of that forgiveness, that moment, um, and just what God's done in our lives. So you wanted that sofa in your house, Wade. I did. Um, I think I've always taken seriously in the Old Testament where there were monuments, there were things put in place, there were stones put in place to stones of remembrance. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this is a stone of remembrance of what God's done, the redemption, the healing, um, that hopefully we'll never forget the day of all this and the grace that God poured into our lives. Well, when I heard about that sofa in your house... It was a good old bowl of conviction on my heart because I had moved the red leather chairs where Bob had confessed to me out of my house, moved them to the office because I didn't want to see them. They hurt too much. And um, because I heard your story, we brought them back. Mm. That's cool. I just kind of thought, well, if God can redeem us, he can redeem the chairs. Mm -hmm. And he just said, okay, God. What are you going to do with the chairs? And I started meeting with Jesus in the chairs every morning. And I said, this is not going to be the the pebble in my shoe of this redemption walk. It's not going to be. These chairs aren't going to be. And boy, has God redeemed them. I've watched your faith grow in those chairs, too. We've, we've held our new grandbabies in those chairs. We've prayed with friends and led ministry prayer days in them. Those chairs have been used a lot. God has redeemed them day by day. But the thing that no one knew about the red chairs at the time was that that was our place of disclosure. Right. And so We didn't tell anybody that. Yeah, so I think one of the neatest things about this whole book, about this whole process, was reading um, our daughter in love, our daughter... Aaliyah Gresh. Who married our son. Robbie Gresh. And she wrote the foreword to Dana's book for moms a few years ago. And it sounded like this. Just a couple of years ago, Bob and Dana opened their home to Robbie and me when we brought our beautiful twin baby girls home from the hospital. Bob and Robbie cared for our girls late into the night. Dana woke up very early to help me with the first bottle feed of the day. 
We sat in two cozy red chairs snuggled up close to her fireplace. For me, these chairs are holy ground, a place where I encountered the radical and undying love of Jesus. Dana and I held my baby girls and talked and laughed and cried and prayed. She listened to my heart and spoke truth into it, truth about my Savior who sustained the lives we held in precarious times, truth about my girls, truth about me. When you pick up this book, dear reader, you are cozying up in Dana's red chair in her living room. You are laughing and crying and receiving truth from her heart to yours in the immense love of your own Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that's this episode of the Happily Even After limited series podcast with Bob and Dana Gresh. Be sure to check out the show notes at danagresh.com. If you don't already have a copy of Happily Even After, Let God Redeem Your Marriage, get one anywhere you like to buy books. Episodes one through seven of this podcast support key chapters in that book. They contain conversation prompts to explore the seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. Have you read chapter 12 titled Truth Number Four? Forgiveness is a supernatural act that produces freedom. At the end of that chapter, there are some simple conversation prompts to get the two of you talking about what forgiveness is and isn't. The Happily Even After podcast is written by Bob and Dana Gresh. Original music and production by Blake Bratton. And thanks to Moody Publishers for underwriting this episode. Here's what's up next time. When she first came home and started saying that she loved this guy named Jesus, honestly, guys, it ticked me off. I mean, if she were here, she'd tell you, she'd say, I prayed him into that uh, jail cell. She said, I would always pray, Father, let him come to the end of himself without hurting someone else.